ICE Theatres, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the ICE Theatres experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. ICE Theatres, meet us at CinemaCon with 2617A. So many people on our corporate team started at 16 as a frontline concessionaire selling popcorn and rise through the ranks and have grown with us. And I think that is so important because it brings empathy to our corporate team to remind all of us what we're really doing, which is spreading the magic of the movies to people. And so I think surrounding yourself with a group of people who have the same passion as you do and the love of this industry and people who have been there on a Friday night at seven o'clock when it's the lines out the door and the popcorn machine broke down and the stress that comes with it helps us grow as a team and feel connected and be reminded of how important that frontline staff member is to the company. This is the Box Office Podcast. In the final episode of our daily CinemaCon edition, brought to you by Ice Theaters. We're finally done. I'm so happy. It was a great show. But once again, we are completely exhausted and maybe we'll make it to our flights. There's been times I've missed it. I have to accept it. Sometimes that what was used to be known as the Seahorse Lounge over here in Caesars Palace, it's usually a late night there on Thursday evening, finishing up the show. No exception this year, but uh, you know, we're still around. We're still doing this. We're, we're keeping it professional. I am joined once again by our co-hosts, Rebecca Polly and Sean Robbins, to recap everything that happened on the final day of CinemaCon 2022. And in the feature segment of today's episode, we have highlights and a recap of that Wednesday, 7.45 a.m. panel, How to Attract and Retain a Talented Staff, that was moderated by NATO's Jackie Brenneman and featured panelists that include Brittany Bagby Baker, the EVP and Chief Operating Officer over at BNB Theaters, Scott Foreman, the EVP and General Sales Manager over at Warner Brothers, and Pat Gonzalez, the SVP of in theater marketing over at Paramount Pictures. Wait, how could I forget Brian Schultz, our friend? I can't forget Brian the founder and CEO of Look Cinemas. He's also in there. We will be bringing you highlights of that panel session. That yeah, you know what? If you slept through that, if you missed it, if you had a headache at 7.45 a.m., don't worry. You can now catch up with it on your drive home, on your commute back, wherever your flight may take you. We are happy to bring you this week's episode or the final episode of this week. Long week. Rebecca, Sean, uh, we're at the finish line. Let's just take it away. Yeah, another uh, another CinemaCon over. I mean, I, I definitely feel like this was an exhausting week, but it was tiring. Um, it was tiring, but it was incredibly. You know, it, it was a great week for me as well. Yeah, Sean, you you hadn't actually been able to join us here in Vegas for a couple of years for some mishaps. Finally, I'm glad to be side by side with you in this year's event. What was your reaction? Coming back here to Vegas. Yeah, I think this was a great show. It's a little bit like summer camp to me. Like you get here and it's kind of there's this pressure of the week ahead and then <laughs> it's over and you're tired and you're ready to go home. But at the same time, it's 
it's going to be weird going home. You reconnect with all the people <laughs> yeah. you saw. Yeah, all ago. your friends from last year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't come last year. What happened? Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a great way of uh, describing it, Sean. And also talking about summer camp and people that we like to see uh, from time to time, but maybe not often. Uh, of course, I'm joking. We've got our CEO, Julian Marcel, joining us here on the podcast. Julian, welcome. Uh, thank you for paying us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm a bit uh, exhausted as well, but f- I'm over the moon after my uh, screening this morning. Obviously, that's a, a big, big part of what we're going to be talking about. Paramount doing the world premiere. First time anybody sees Top Gun Maverick in front of exhibitors here at CinemaCon in Las Vegas. We'll be bringing you insights from that shortly. Let's just start with everything that happened before Top Gun, so we give that some coverage, because this is really going to be the Top Gun podcast. Because something that happened, I mean, one of the things that happened before Top Gun was we got a uh, dance number? Yes. Yes. The highly anticipated Chris Aronson-led studio presentation. She always does it. I think it's it's a tradition here at CinemaCon. Mm -hmm. Last year, you might remember, he was shot out of a chair, a movie theater chair. Remember that, Rebecca? I think it might have. It was Jackass themed. It was Jackass themed. They shot him through a cannon with a movie theater chair. It was a jet propelled. It was cool. This year we had uh, Sonic Two, some some kind of acrobatic type stuff. Some uh, so, some rapping. Not sadly, Chris Aronson rapping though. That's probably for probably the for the best. The probably day. for the best. We like those Sunday box office quotes you give us, Chris. Uh, it's fine that you don't rap for us. Uh, but who we did hear from uh, was also Brian Robbins, president and CEO of Paramount. Uh, he said something, guys, that I think uh, really resonated during this presentation. Basically came claiming that when everything looked like it was just going to be Spider-Man leftovers through the first quarter of the year, Paramount stuck to its guns in Q1 and kept its releases there, moved up the Lost City, and he said, quote, it paid for us and it paid off for you guys. So it worked for both sides of the equation. Sean, you have to admit it. Can you give us a glimpse of what that Q1 this year would have looked like without Paramount? Not good. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, there's really no way to sugarcoat that. They have been responsible for several straight hits. And they weren't all franchises either. And something like The Lost City comes Lost along City. and goes above expectations and brings back an audience. We had really been wondering when they would come back so yeah and before uh before the screening of top gun maverick we did see some short uh you know clips and and trailers and stuff from other upcoming paramount films didn't go on that long they knew what everyone was there to see but i do (laughs) want to highlight we did see the first trailer for damien giselle's uh old hollywood uh epic babylon which i mean i'm i'm a absolute nerd for for that era of history so i'm sign me up julian what did you think of babylon uh, I was ecstatic about this one as well. I mean, anyway, the, the whole morning made me ecstatic. So I'm completely biased, full disclosure. <laughs> uh, what I saw from uh, from Chazelle was uh, extraordinary. Uh, and I already want to be in December to, to watch it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but then you would miss the release of Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, and I, want to see it, and I want to see it again for sure. Now, uh, on, from your perspective, Sean, this was one of the questions we had coming into the event. Uh, Damien Chazelle, what was Babylon going to be looking like? Obviously, a filmmaker that has a very impressive track record uh, here in theaters. What are your reactions from the footage we saw? 
Uh, I think it's a movie that's definitely going to play very well among the industry. So I think we just saw a trailer for probably a Best Picture nominee next year. I mean, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, that's that's yeah. A-list, A-list. Yeah. That's just too many attractive people in like one block. It, it intimidates me. I also like staring at attractive people on the screen, <laughs> which is why I do this job, one of many reasons. And I think we can say it was a fun trailer. I had a good time seeing that footage. It Brad just seemed Pitt lively. Looked, Brad Pitt looked like he was having fun. I, I, I like this era in his career. Yeah. And talking about eras in their career, the age-defying Tom Cruise, who might be my grandfather's age, but you would never tell by everything he does. The man is relentless, tireless, introducing the new Mission Impossible trailer from... How do I describe this airplane, guys? It looks like a World War One. Fighter jet. It was a biplane, I think. Is that yeah, that's what you call it? It's like what Snoopy would fly around in, <laughs> in those cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was standing on top of it. He was not seated in the bucket seat all nice and safe because it's Tom Cruise uh, shooting Mission Impossible 8. Uh, we did see the first trailer for Mission Impossible 7, and that looked quite good. Yeah, well. it was fun. I think this is the first time we ever see a trailer for it. When I saw the footage on the, on the plane this morning... I was really expecting he would end up, uh, he would jump and he would end up in the middle of the Coliseum. <laughs> I must admit, I was a bit disappointed about that. We can't ask too much of but Mr. He, Cruz. Is your, your grandfather's age that might be? Yeah, it's a little bit too much for it. Uh, but you know what? I, that's a great thing to bring up because it was such a highlight of 2021, completely unexpected to have Tom Cruise personally appear at Cine Europe last year and introduce the footage. It, it really reinvigorated, I think, the European side of the industry that was unable to come to CinemaCon here last year. And uh, yeah, this footage looked great. Sean, uh, this, your impression of the film change after what you saw? Uh, my expectations were high. I, I love this franchise, so I can't say that it changed other than it met the expectation that Tom Cruise will always exceed my expectations. <laughs> and that trailer did that. I can't wait for it to come out next summer. Yeah, well, we'll be excited to see uh, what develops there in the marketing campaign, how closely Tom Cruise gets involved. And as we talk about Tom Cruise, we have to mention really the highlight, maybe of the week. Uh, Brian Robbins, the president and CEO of Paramount, continuing his re- remarks and introducing the world premiere screening of Top Gun Maverick. He did this by saying, and now after two years, five release dates, and a whole bunch of rumors where the movie would end up, we are finally ready to show this movie where it belongs, your theaters. This was the first audience to ever see this on the big screen. The spoiler alert here is Sean and I had to walk out and actually do work because that's what we're here for. But uh, Rebecca, Julian, you guys decided to treat yourselves to a two-hour-long screening wow. in the busiest week of the year. Wow. Burn. Yeah, I, I just have to say it. Our boss is here. We have to call each other out here. But uh, let's start with you, Rebecca. What was your impression? Obviously, you're in your mid-30s like we are. Uh, we're from a generation that isn't strictly tied to that nostalgia did it appeal oh, to you at all? I dislike the original Top Gun. You I, straight I, up dislike it. So I'm not the only one. I straight up dislike okay, it. Okay, yes. That's um, two of us. After seeing the footage at last year's CinemaCon, it made me kind of cautiously optimistic. Like, oh, hey, I, I could be interested in this. And the film, I, I really had a good time with it. I thought the the third act in particular, the, the action that we got was just like amazing. I, I don't think I've ever seen better like aerial fighting type uh type footage it was it was really i really had a good time with it i mean i think that says something when someone that isn't tied to the original film 
gives the sequel a shot based on footage, on marketing materials, and actually comes out with a positive experience. Now, Julian, you you did enjoy. I mean, you are a fan of the original film, so you came yeah. in. I mean, you you knew all the callbacks and all the the songs. I did not enjoy. I loved it. I had the <laughs> time of my life. So uh, that's for me the, the first Top Gun movie. I was quite young, but uh, that's one of the few movies in my life I can remember precisely where I was, which movie theater, with my mom. The love scene that embarrassed me a little bit. Yeah, and you're so watching that with your mom. That was weird. that was awesome. And so this morning, walking into the auditorium, I heard several people made the same comment. We were seeing Mitch and uh, and Matt. They were saying we are like kids this morning. <laughs> I think people my generation we enter the Colosseum like kids, and so excited. And I think we had all the ingredients to be uh, disappointed because the expectations right. were so high. And it went over and beyond my expectations. I must admit that uh, preparing this podcast with you guys, I wanted to double check that I was not the only guy who who had this uh, this experience. So a couple of comments I got live or from uh, people. Uh, I saw on Twitter a guy named Adam Aaron. Maybe the name rings a bell. Yeah, I believe uh, he is the leader of the Ape Army and also yes. the CEO of AMC. He said he said it's the most exciting, most most exhilarating movie I have seen in my entire life. I'm with Adam on, on this one. That's exactly how I feel. And uh, I saw exhibitors. Can I can I name uh, you can Mariam you go ahead. Can I name Maria Malbasha crying at the uh, when uh, getting out of the movie? We love Maria yeah. Malbasha. And, She's, yeah. and she was so moved. Can I name uh, George Ruman? Another me? friend of box office exhibitor has an independent theater over in Wisconsin. What did he say? Because I know he he was very effusive in the conversation you had. He told me that well, the the one uh, catch line I got from our conversation over lunch was uh, that's why we build movie theaters. And indeed, yeah. for me, this uh, screening this morning was the perfect conclusion, although we are not completely done yet. But for the last day of CinemaCon, that was perfect because all of a sudden, all together in the Colosseum, we had the opportunity to experiment at its best what we have been talking about for the whole week, exhibitors and studios together, which is nothing replaces the big screen. Oh, yes, this morning, nothing replaces. Why? <laughs> Because we have a communal experience, I heard several times, uh, Rebecca, you were there, people cheering in the middle of the of the movie. I never cheered during a movie; I could not refrain. I was so excited. People applauding, people crying. The reception was amazing. And Daniel, you also uh, talked to some exhibitors and kind of informal straw I, I did, yeah. So I, I wanted. I missed the screening. I wanted on purpose to to gauge what some of those reactions were from exhibitors. As uh, those who follow our publication know, we did a reader's poll of exhibitors uh, in our publication last year and asked and asked the exhibition community, anybody working in a movie theater today, they could write in and vote for a number of categories. One of them was the most anticipated film of 2022. And by far, the film that was singled out in voting was Top Gun Maverick. It was the one movie that the exhibition community, over 165 responses from professionals all over the world, they all named this movie. I spoke with Chris Johnson, the CEO of Classic Cinemas, and we were talking about it. I think his reaction was very close to Julian's. I mean, he was really, really effusive. And I had to be straight up with him and say, hey, I know you really liked it. It's been two really difficult years. 
was it worth the delays? Was it worth the five release delays? And he said, absolutely, because it launches the summer slate. Because right now, this is coming out at a point, Memorial Day weekend. It's such a good, it's such a good it just, time it, for this movie to come it out. It kicks off a strong, strong summer slate. And that's what Chris said. You need this sort of uh, proof of concept of theatrical, of the, the theatrical experience, like Julian is saying. And that's what this movie accomplishes. Yeah. And I think we had a, also a fantastic panel after the movie uh, over lunch where we had a Glenn Powell uh, one of the one of the actors, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, Joseph Kosinski, and the discussion was very enlightening because I think it showed that what makes this movie quite unique, in my view, is that it's so genuine. Everything about this movie is genuine, and the fact that uh, Glenn Powell was explaining how he fell in love with aviation while shooting this movie, and he ended up having uh, passing his own license, etc. So I think that was very very interesting to see that. Uh, uh, there was something so authentic about the commitment of the whole team from Bruckheimer to uh, to Tom Cruise to all the different, uh, all the cast. Uh, I think that was very exciting. Yeah, there was very strong camaraderie on, on the panel and you got that, you know, sense as well from the film. I mean, it's Top Gun. At, at its core, it's a film about friendship, really. Um, you know, on that panel, we did hear, I think, more about um, coconut oil being rubbed on actors' shirtless chests <laughs> than we did any like kind of specific insights as, as well, to the theatrical exhibition, but yeah. it's like, it's Top Gun. So yeah, that's, that's what you, that's, that's what, what you have to want. talk about. It's not only insights yeah. on potential performance, but also mm-hmm. uh, rubbing coconut oil on, I mean, on men's last, bare chests. Last year we had some excellent and, and rather fiery insights um, from, from Patty Jenkins and, and it felt like that was appropriate. Yeah. For, for that time, right. It was mm-hmm. a combative confrontational uh, panel at that luncheon that we had, the mm-hmm. filmmaker luncheon. This year, guys, it seems like it really wasn't about settling scores between exhibition and distribution, why I'm mad, what you owe me, none of that. It seems like it was, hey, we've got a great movie to to really showcase the strength of theatrical. Mm -hmm. Let's go work together on this. Yes, and and the executive, uh, Brian Robbins, uh, president and CEO of Paramount, who was on the panel, was actually asked, hey, you, you must have been approached by streaming companies asking if you want to sell this movie in. And he said, no, it was always intended to be theatrical. It's always going to be theatrical. And indeed, when he said it didn't need to be theatrical, he explained how they put five IMAX cameras within the cockpit mm-hmm. because he realized, the, the, the director explained how he realized that with a little GoPro in a, in a, in a cockpit, you could do fascinating uh, video on YouTube. So he explained how he told uh, Tom Cruise, well, you know, we have to go over and beyond. And so everything is cinematic about that. And it has to be for the, for the big screen. Yeah. These are not green screen action scenes. This is practical. And you, you have to give Tom Cruise credit for this because he brings this to his movies. He's like a Buster Keaton or a Jackie Chan in this respect. He believes in practical effects. He believes in stunts. And I think it pays off on what we see on the screen. I think that speaks to his uh, star personas, longevity. Um, so a, a great bit of momentum there that we got from the Paramount presentation. We do have to move on because we also had Lionsgate presenting at, at this year's event to close up the whole conversation. We just spoke about one of the most anticipated tent poles of the year. But guys, in the conversation that we had entering this week, the top question we had was, can theatrical thrive without the tent poles? Can theatrical work with diverse programming, can we bring those audiences back? 
Sean, I think it's fair to say that Lionsgate really focused on that aspect in their presentation this year. Of all the films that we're going to go through, what was the number one movie that really stood out for you from this Lionsgate presentation? Well, I think once we look past the three franchise movies that they talked about, the one that really stood out to me was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. I think that really has the makings of a, not even a sleeper hit because it's such a mm-hmm. beloved property. I think that's something once it begins marketing, it's going to gain attention immediately. And, and I love the way that the, the trailer began with uh, clips from uh, talk shows and, and, and media appearances and just people talking about how important this book has been to him, been to them, how important Judy Bloom as an author has been to them and, and really what an event this movie is going to be. Like it's a big deal that this movie got made finally. You know, it's um it's from the director of The Edge of Seventeen, which I really loved. So um yeah, I that was that was one that I was excited to see uh, see some footage from. We really need these movies, guys. Yeah. And I'm I'm so happy that Lionsgate is coming out and playing this role. Uh, they've got another number of titles here that maybe are like IP tangential. Sean, we've got White Bird, part of, I can't believe I'm saying this sentence, part of the Wonder Cinematic Universe. Uh, explain what that is, please. That's not Wonder Woman Cinematic Universe. No, it's Wonder. just Wonder Cinematic Universe. Right. So okay. that was a, a big hit a few years ago, also based on a beloved novel. Very heartwarming movie that did well around the holidays. I mean, cute little Jacob Tremblay. I mean, you can't... Really put him on the map at that Mm. point. Yeah, Jacob Tremblay is great. I don't know if you guys saw Dr. Sleep, that poor kid. Yeah, Yeah. no. But, you know, he did a great job in Wonder. I think that was a a film that, in its time, Sean really established the box office. It was a sort of release that we need to see more of. Do you think White Bird can play a similar role in the market today than Wonder did when it came out? I, I wouldn't put that kind of expectation on it yet. Uh, how they market it to an audience versus how they've marketed it today early on in this campaign cycle to the industry could make a big difference because it's very clear they, they want people to connect Wonder to this movie. Mm. And I think without that connection, people might just see it as another drama that kind of wants to hinge on that feeling. So, But I do think it could be a success. It's just the fact that Wonder was such a big success we, we might need to be a little conservative in the expectations, yeah. but it could still do really well. And wonder, of course, the film that, that really um, kicked off the, the choose kind moment about mm. empathy and, and kindness mm-hmm. right. and another uh, franchise that has those two things as its uh, core values, of course, the Expendables franchise. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't come to this show and not see a little bit of Sylvester Stallone. It's, I don't think I'd, I'd still be in this job if that was the case. I need to see, just give me some Stallone. And I'm fine. And I got a lot of Stallone. I got Expendable Score. Guys, this looked fun. Yeah. Uh, now, we know that it is an important movie here in that specific franchise. Because, Sean, you remember when this happened. We were working together back when we were still working Saturday and Sundays together. Just uh, going over the numbers. Expendables 3. A lot of momentum there. But that movie leaked online. And Piracy, a pristine digital copy, derailed its release. And I thought it killed the franchise. It came, it came out. The pirated copy leaked before it even hit theaters. I mean, well before. It really, really... I thought it killed the franchise. Do you think, Sean, that Expendables 4 can recover from that fiasco of the piracy situation from the third one? We'll see. I think the the take that they're going with here, bringing in a new generation, they're adding Megan Fox, a few other people, 50 Cent is going to be in it now. They're they're going to change it up, give it new blood, as the marketing cards said in the trailer. There's There's a potential for that. 
but it's also the fourth movie. When we see action franchises like this, there is a there is a diminishing return at some point. Has it been enough time for a new generation to get into these movies? We'll find out. And we have another action franchise uh, with the fourth film that we saw at Lionsgate. But before we get to that, because I know, Daniel, you're going to want to geek out about it. Uh, we had About My Father from comedian uh, and actor Sebastian Maniscaldo, who actually kind of uh, was in the position of MC uh, for the Lionsgate presentation. And, and I, the, I, I, I wasn't familiar with, with this man, but the room seemed to really eat him up and had a really strong reaction uh, to the trailer. I mean, Robert De Niro uh, playing a key role in the film, he showed up to help. Uh, yeah, to it's, a, it's a cross-cultural family comedy. Imagine uh, the Meet the Parents series, but you put like an Italian-American family in there to just switch things up. I thought it was, I thought it looked funny and we need these uh, adult skewing comedies. Man, that's that's been it's been ages since I saw an adult skewing comedy on the big screen. I guess Lost City that definitely probably plays mm-hmm. into there. It, it feels very STX kind and of bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. Too, with what we saw at Universal. That, that's a new theme, I think. Right, so. right. We saw that with Bros. We thought, saw that with Easter Sunday. We thought this movie was dead, Sean. You've been following the the market. You you're tracking everything that's coming out. Can we see this part of releases really get revived by the titles we saw from Universal and by Lionsgate? Yeah, I think so. Because we're coming out of the pandemic, I think that's going to alter audience tastes. What do people want to see after these past two years? And I think they've always wanted to see comedies, but they want to see something new. They don't want to see the 25th version of When Harry Met Sally. We've seen that plenty of times, and there are 50 more versions of it streaming somewhere. What we've seen, I think, at CinemaCon this week from comedies really offers a bright light for the genre. Yeah. Daniel, I mean, what, what, what was your, I know the answer, what was, got, what was your, what, what did you think of the John Wick 4? Because that was the one that I think everyone was looking forward to here. Certainly it was what I was most anticipating from Lionsgate. Julian got his Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> I got my Expendables 4 mm-hmm. and my John Wick 4. And I am very happy I got both of them. I'm but very happy Keanu Reeves showed up. It was great. Everyone so likes Keanu. Yeah. He was charming. That some someone yelled out from the crowd like, "We love you, Keanu." Because we all do. We all do. Because it's Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we saw the world premiere of the footage, was it the trailer? I think it was the trailer. No, mm-hmm. I don't know what technically it's going to be, but it was great footage. Before we got to see that, we saw Joe Drake, the chairman of the Motion Picture Group over at Lionsgate. He came up and said some things that for me, uh, are very, very important and are part of my main takeaways of CinemaCon 2022. He said, every movie can be an event for somebody. And there he's referring to all of the diverse slate Mm -hmm. that Lionsgate is coming out with, right? And when, when he's describing this strategy that Lionsgate has and pairing major IPs with some movies that are really identifying specific segments of the audience that have been ignored in the last two years, Uh, He had a wonderful quote. He said that Lionsgate is focused on making movies for people who want to discover what they love rather than being told what they like. I love that. Yeah. That's what I that that identify I identify with that sentence as a movie goer. And I forget the exact phrasing of what he said, but it was something to the effect of, "Guys, there are weekends when we don't have a movie from the multiverse coming out." Yeah. <laughs> Which, and and that's where we need Lionsgate. Yes. Yeah, that's where we need Lionsgate. And you know, but they also have major IPs, and we saw a little bit of that in sort of quick clips mm-hmm. that closed out the presentation. The uh, adaptation of the popular video game Borderlands. Uh, mm-hmm. kinda, it looked, it had a fun kind of action 
poppy, almost tank girl feel. Yeah. Um, starring Kate Blanchett, which yeah. I'm yeah. I'm curious and excited, and I'm I, I'm 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 pumped for that one. But it was an announcement Announce. of Ballerina, which mm-hmm. is actually a John Wick spinoff, uh, starring Ana de Armas. Mm-hmm. She is now, I think, an A-list star. I think we have to talk about Ana de Armas as an A-list international spot star. She was great in Knives Out. I think the Bond movie really launched her to this position. She now has a major franchise and a spinoff through Lionsgate. This might have some potential. I'm really curious to see uh, where that goes. And of course, I have to tell you, from this little footage presentation, there's a new Dirty Dancing movie coming out. It, was, it wasn't quite clear on what that was. Is it, it a remake? Like, Is it a sequel? It was like Jennifer Grey returns to the, the world. I mean, all the right. footage was just of the original Dirty Dancing. And, and so we don't know. The number one thing it did for me was just make me sad that it's, Patrick Swayze is no longer with us. Well, so. maybe maybe Diego Luna shows back up and shows us how to live the Havana Nights once again. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that'll hurt it. But uh, that's yeah. an IP that has a lot of uh, positive nostalgia to it. And ditto. I mean, it's a newer IP, granted, but um, a new Hunger Games movie coming out. Of course, uh, Lionsgate yeah. had two massive franchises in the early aughts in The Hunger Games and Twilight. Uh, the author of the Hunger Games series has written a kind of prequel book, uh, the uh, Book of Songbirds and Snakes, I believe. That's a book title, apparently. I think that is Pe- the subtitle of the book. movie as well, and I, I think they should change that title. That's just me. <laughs> but you know what? The Hunger Games is the important part of the title. They could mm-hmm. put any subtitle they want. Sean, this franchise was crucial for elevating Lionsgate to a major-like level in the mid-20-teens. Uh, looking at this title presentation, how much life does this Hunger Games IP have to it? I, I think because it's a prequel, we automatically have to go into this expecting less than Hunger Games numbers. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is not going to be in this. Does this not um, make you think of just kind of Harry yeah. Potter Fantastic Beasts all over again? It That's does. a risk, right? It That's does. a risk. We have to be careful with that. Now, the benefit, of course, is that this is actually based on a book that exists already, whereas... Even though J.K. Rowling did Fantastic Beast, it was straight to a film. But yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a great comparison. The Hobbit, of course, is another one that would come to mind. But it's it's still a brand that I would think would sell. It certainly has had a longer life, I would say, than the Twilight. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. That is a November twenty twenty three release. That prequel to the Hunger Games series. Now, can I before we close up? Can I ask? I want to. I want to put all three of you on the spot here. Of the footage of all the films that we saw this year at CinemaCon. What is your number one most anticipated now? Now let's start with Julian because I have to think about this. Let me let me really think about this. <laughs> Sorry guys, I pushed you off. Tough, tough question. Now the, the the movie I really anticipate is the one movie that I'm gonna see in 27 days. I'll be in Cannes. That will be Top Gun in Cannes on uh, May 25. Well, you know what? Sean and I haven't seen Top Gun. If you're going to be in Cannes, you know, we're, we're available. I don't know. Do you have anything on your uh, schedule? I can, I can clear something. I, th- I think, we, yeah, you, we, we might want to see this early after clever, your recommendation. Clever, clever. <laughs> so, yeah, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I think that echoes what a lot of people are saying coming out of this event. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have to take some time and think about this because I don't want to say the obvious and say whatever Sylvester Stallone is in. But, um, but that's probably the case, though. Right. No, you know, you're putting this <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is because it is the most anticipated movie I have of this year. And we didn't get to see any of it because MGM UA didn't have a presentation. I want to know what's going on with Creed 3. 
That's what I want to know in my life. That's an important part of my life that I need answered. And I am curious and I am uh, embracing the mystery of finding out later this year what Michael B. Jordan does with the third installment of the Creed series. And I just want to add another one. Not sorry, I'm not sure that I talk about uh, Top Gun again. I'm going to talk about another movie that could be a milestone, I believe, in many ways. That's Avatar 2. Because yes, there is a level of expectation. Yes. And it is more than just the reception the movie is going to get. Is is it going to be another milestone in the 3D revival? Mm-hmm. And, and there has been so much talk about the premium experiences uh, this week uh, that I think it's, uh, it's really one to have on our radar screen because it could be game-changing yeah. one way or the other. It, it's it a benchmark. Have, it could have a seismic impact. At the it, first it, it could, or it could not. That's why I think we have to look at Avatar 2 as a benchmark of the evolution of cinema technology and the evolution of audiences. I think there's, there's a lot that's going to be answered about the future of exhibition with the release of Avatar 2. That is such an irrational amount of expectations for this movie. Mm. But uh, we're doing it anyway. But it's James Cameron, so... Yeah. yeah. But Sean, where, what, what did you really come out of this week loving? Uh, I think all of those, it's hard, it depends on my mood, to be honest. I, I'm terrible at making personal countdowns. So Doctor Strange is the one first on top of mind because it's coming out in a week. They showed 20 minutes of footage that I intentionally walked out on so that I wouldn't be spoiled. <laughs> and I can experience it in my home theater with my wife. That's really the, the big one. But outside of Marvel, I think seeing the trailer for Amsterdam... That really went near the top of my list because yeah. I love David O. Russell. I love yeah. Christian Bale. I love Margot Robbie. I'm in. Yeah, an ensemble film with a big Hollywood cast. It looks like a fun movie to see in the winter. I'm excited about that one too. And I'm very excited for Top Gun as well. I don't want to sound like uh, I'm going to downplay that at all. No, Julian's we're so excited as... that we're willing to go to yeah. Cannes with Julian <laughs> yeah. to see it. I'm just yeah. saying. That's yeah. how I appreciate, that. I appreciate your support, guys. That would probably be the first movie I take my, my dad back to because he was about um, 30 when the original came out and I grew up watching it because of him. So. I think that's a, that's a good element of it. And that's something you said, Julian, that it's a sort of movie that is now cross-generational, Top Gun, right? Yeah. And that's, that's a movie and that's been a long time that I want to take my daughters, I want to take my right. son, my wife, my mother... And so it's not so often that you say oh, the whole family is going to love it. I'm yeah. a bit biased. I want to take my whole team, not necessarily in Cannes, but the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> well, during the filmmaker's lunch, the actor Glenn Powell was saying that he, his father showed it to him on VHS when he was 10. And his father kept looking at him to make sure he was... Re- like, it was important to his dad that this, this little young Glenn Powell liked the movie. I did the same with my kids. I took them to San Diego and we were in this hotel in San Diego. And that's the moment when I made them discover Top Gun because that was the place. You don't like this straight to the orphanage. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. May 27th, Memorial Day weekend. We have the domestic release of Top Gun Maverick. A lot of people here at CinemaCon 2022 are probably going to go back saying this was the highlight. This was the defining moment of the event. But that's not all. We are looking at things from a wide perspective here at Box Office Pro. We're looking at the slates, yes. We're also looking at what exhibitors are saying, at trends in the industry, what the technology side is doing. We're looking at everything here in the exhibition community. And in that context, I want to just poll you guys on your main takeaways of the week. Now, Julian, you, you have a dual role here because you're, you're obviously the, the head of uh, publication on the industry but you also represent a vendor in the space, a leader in cinema technology, the box office company. You came with a specific set of expectations. It's been three years since you were at a CinemaCon. 
Did this meet your expectations? What was your main takeaway? Yeah, absolutely. For me, that was a fantastic uh, CinemaCon. We, I came here to see what the, the future holds for the industry. And I, uh, we are going to leave very energized with a couple of key messages that for me uh, do really matter. Number one, and it was repeated again and again, especially by Rolando Rodriguez, which is we are back as an mm-hmm. industry. And, uh, and really, I think we could, uh, we could feel it. The second thing is that we are back provided we provide top level, top gun, uh, top level experience, <laughs> premium experience. And I think clearly I've never heard a cinema, I've never participated to CinemaCon with that much focus on um, premium experiences and how fitting was it that we had our friends from Ice Theatres as a sponsor because, and I know that they did extremely well throughout the week and that was a, that's a good sign of the appetite for a premium experience. This premium experience is not only technological and I, I really keep in mind all the jokes that Jamie Lee Curtis did yesterday <laughs> yeah, in her fantastic intervention, great. which is our industry is about indulging people with a unique experience made of course of great technology, but also of kindness, taking care of people and being kind to people. And, and that's a communal human experience. And that would be maybe the one of the reasons to go full circle on why we are back and why we need to be back is because what we do in the theatrical industry is good and necessary. The, the world really needs this communal experience in the real world getting a bit emotional there. But I really believe that's one of the takeaways, which, which is let's remember all together that what we do really matters. And it's not just an industry fighting for its own good. It's important that we bring our kids to movies and that we have family experiences together. So that's this mix of technology and human experience that makes the, the movie experience relevant. That's really my takeaway from, uh, from the energy I got from this week. I would say for me, uh, with what looks to be the coming of an incredibly strong summer slate, we could be kind of exiting or transitioning out of this period of recovery and entering into one of renewal. And, and I mean that not just in terms of box office and numbers and films, but of exhibitors and vendors and, and everyone in this space coming out of this existential crisis and having, having looked at it and asked themselves, what are movies going to be in the future? Separate from COVID even, like how can we get people to come to the movies who didn't even come before? I, I feel like this is, there was like, I don't know, almost an identity crisis and it's kind of like flipped a switch. Or- oh no, our industry has a chance to reset. Mm-hmm. And there, we have to be honest, there were a lot of things wrong with the industry before the pandemic that we tried to gloss over as a community, as an industry. And this is an opportunity to recognize those aspects that were broken and fix them. And part of that is making sure that we engage more audiences, that we bring back infrequent moviegoers, that we depend less on tent poles, because as we saw during the pandemic, if you rely on one studio to bring most of your money in, maybe that studio changes its mind. There's a lot of those aspects that I think the industry has a golden, golden opportunity to fix. Sean, you're looking at, at the entire industry here in a very practical way that helps our uh, readers and listeners. What's going to help fill your theaters? What's going to help you sell tickets? From your perspective, what are your main takeaways from CinemaCon? It's it's a combination of everything all three of you just said, because this is, at the end of the day, this is a business, but it is also an important part of our culture. 
And it's something that we haven't had as part of our global culture for the past two years. And it's coming back. It, that was a big theme in, in, in Paramount's comments today from Chris Aronson and Brian Robbins. People are coming back. We've seen that the last couple of months. Now the goal is to have the content. And what we saw this week shows us the content is coming. And it's not next year. It's not in six months. It's, it's next week. It's next week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with, with Multiverse of Madness, absolutely. I, for me, uh, my main takeaways, I, I actually look back on uh, a couple of weekends ago. I, I was working the, the Sunday numbers over at boxofficepro.com. Opening weekend of Sonic um, I gave uh, Chris Aronson from Paramount a call to get his reactions on a fantastic $71 million opening weekend, big overperformance. Um, and I, I called him. I was like, hey, listen, Paramount's been doing great. You guys uh, really helped Q1. Uh, what's your reaction to Sonic doing so well? And especially as we're still kind of in this pandemic malaise, right? Chris was very direct with me. He said... At a certain point, we have to stop blaming the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's something you actually echoed earlier this week, Rebecca. Except I was always quasi-apologetic about it. Where Chris <laughs> just, just kind of came out to the and point, said it. right? Yeah. Uh, but that that really stuck with me. At a certain point, we have to stop blaming the pandemic, and we really have to take accountability on getting in the right track. And what I saw this week, being completely honest, gives me a lot of confidence that we are in every aspect from concessions to technology, operations, and definitely with the studios that showed up and made a huge effort to make this a very memorable CinemaCon, I think this has been a fantastic, energetic, and revitalizing week for everybody. And I want to add one last comment that only I can do as a guest to the podcast. People love your podcast, guys. I've spent the whole week with a lot of guests a lot of participants telling me about the podcast. They know that I'm part of the box office as well. You, and I can see all these comments and I can also see the figures that are in front of me. We are going to end up this month with 30% more audience than any months before. So congrats, you're doing a, a great job. Oh, We're happy you. to tap. That's I mean, thank you. can't come to CinemaCon every year. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah. No, thank you so much uh, to our listeners. As Julian mentioned, we are flattered with uh, all your support. Uh, Rebecca, Sean, myself, it was great for us on a personal level, walking around here, meeting so many of you, uh, hearing your nice comments. And if you had nasty comments, thank you for not sharing them. Uh, we appreciate <laughs> that as well. And we're here with Guillaume Tomin de Masur from Ice Theaters. We just spoke, what was it, like a week and a half ago? Not yes. that long ago yes. we had you on. <laughs> and it feels like it's been three months since. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm exhausted at this point when we're recording. I am dying of exhaustion. I am <laughs> literally knackered. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a tough week, but a good one. I think positive. I think it, I'd be worried if we were talking right now and we had a lot of energy, we were well-rested and wondering where all the people are. Uh, you spent all week here at CinemaCon, at the trade show floor, at the Ice Theaters booth. How many people have been coming? Is it a busy show? Because I, in 2021, there wasn't that much of a turnout. How is it different in 2022? Well, let me put it this way. I was kind of stressed to not have enough people passing by. And now I'm really stressed because I don't know how I'm going to attend all that people who came by asking for price proposal, exclusivity deals willing us to travel to their country, to study their theater, and to be up and running with Ice Theater ASAP. You have that mountain of 
business cards that yes. you told people I'll email you when I get back. Here's a spoiler alert, Guillaume, you're going to email them probably in two months. That's the grace period we have in this industry. <laughs> you're going to run into people at Cine Europe and say, hi, I met you a month ago. It feels like two weeks. I hope, I hope I'll be better than that, <laughs> to be honest. But, but um, in a nutshell, CinemaCon for us is always the opportunity to see everybody. And it's where the big deals are getting closed. Um, and I'm very confident that between the meetings we had at CinemaCon and the Cine Europe, which is coming, some huge announcements will be will spread in the press. Well, we're excited to hear the latest from ICE. As we know, earlier this week, you guys closed a deal with Apollo Cinema, the largest circuit in the Baltic region. You're in the flagship location in Estonia. When is that opening? It's later this summer, right? Yeah, it's uh, during August, mid-August. We're really, really, really proud to have been selected by Apollo. Uh, of course, they, they investigated us. They checked our results, our box office performances. Um, we, we welcomed them in Paris so we could show them the complete ice theater experience from a moviegoer point of view. And it's funny because we met them at Cine Europe and it, it was quite fast because we, we got the deal done. I'm very, very happy because they are the leading exhibitor in the territory. That's the number one with 81 locations across 16 theaters. Um, and that's what we want. We want the best-in-class exhibitors. I know our brand will be well taken care of with uh, Apollo Kino. And also, they have a, a very peculiar slate of content, uh, local content. Right, so yeah, in the Baltic region, these local films help fill out the calendar. Yeah. So we're already working on uh, converting one of their movie, a local title, to make it ice theater compliant. Because you 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 work on these massive these reformats. Yes. In house, you have all your own studio in France. Yes. So local films from different different countries in the world, they can work directly with you guys to Absolutely make sure the correct. format is optimized. Yeah, we're doing some titles for Bollywood uh, titles. Uh, so it's always the same. We have you know. All the big American titles that are that are really important to us. Uh, we just got Fantastic Beast. We got Sonic. Uh, now we we, will, we have Doctor Strange, Top Gun, Minions, Jurassic World, Black Adam. Another big title is also scheduled for December, as you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, and in the middle of that, we we're also adding some local content because we want to serve best the audience and if, if the audience is is really keen on watching a local content in ice if there's enough movement colors and shapes uh and it's deserve the ice treatment then we will we will provide now one of the big questions we had coming into the event that, that we've spoken a lot about is how is the capex going to look not for the major circuits but for the medium-sized circuits and for some of the smaller companies you're here with a premium concept that's usually been the territory of big multinational circuits. Is that still the case? Do you get that sense? Or what have been some of the meetings like with exhibitors here at CinemaCon for you? I think everybody is digging uh, innovation. Uh, the newness uh, always works. And uh, what we did with our premium format is just like a French chef would be doing, you know, you select the best ingredients and boom, there you get your, your master, masterpiece in the plate. And our masterpiece is this. We selected the best ingredient with uh, laser projector, 4K, Dolby Atmos. And we're not shy of, you know, saying Dolby Atmos. It's the best sound uh, to our standards. 
Um, and same goes with laser project projector in 4K, recliner seats, uh, etc. And then we add, of course, our LED panels on the sides because we don't distract the audience from the main screen. If you look left and right, you'll see only big shapes, colors moving. And right. there's, there's not much sense to it. The, the, your, the view or the focus point is still on the big screen. It's yes. just the peripherals are driving you in there. It's only when you look at the big screen that, that those panels make absolute sense because it extends the horizon, it expands the, the, the movie uh, vision, and actually it immerses you inside the, the content. And that's, I mean, the satisfaction rate that we've seen across our sites in France, Saudi Arabia, Spain, U.S., uh, and soon uh, Baltic countries with Apollo is that 95% are satisfied because it's really, really, really immersing them into the content. And once you've tried that, it's not an experience that you just want to have once and, and you're done with it. You've tried it and then you want your experience at the movies to be always like that. It's, it's horrible to compare it to business class in airplanes. Right. But once you've tried business <laughs> class, if ever you've tried it or once you've looked at it, you only want to travel in it, and you, you, you reach in the same destination. It's the same destination. The plane goes to the same way. It's the same movie, but in the business class, you enjoy the journey much better. Of course, I do have to ask you, because this week is not only about the meetings you've had here on the trade show floor, but also what's going on a little bit of a walk away at the Coliseum, the studio presentations. We've seen some great footage, some number of films being announced that people are very excited to see. What's coming out in the Ice Theater's format that you're really excited to see later on this year? Well, you're talking to a kid right now, so Top Gun is, for me, definitely my, my personal most expected content in the next few days. Um, but I'm really ex excited about uh, Avatar. I'm really excited about uh, Jurassic World, uh, Black Adam. And we have all of those. All of those are available. I think there's nothing worse for an exhibitor because, again, we're an exhibitor. We operate 700 screens uh, across 70 locations in through, France. Through CGR cinema. Through CGR right? cinema. Uh, and there's nothing worse than having the greatest format of all time and not being able to display any content on it. So we have everything. Uh, so I'm excited for every single movie. But personally, the one that I'm the most expecting, it's Top Gun and Avatar. And when I see the lineup of the content for the month to come, uh, it brings a lot of confidence to me because we, we had a very hard time. Our industry suffered a lot. I did suffer a lot. And I think I'm not the only one. It was, it was tough. We, we, we all read those headlines announcing, announcing the, the, the death of theatrical experience uh, for the profit of the platform. Now you see the platform are falling apart a bit and the exhibition business is coming back to life. And I think those two worlds should never be opposed to each other because I'm a big fan of the platform, but I'm also a big fan of the theatrical. Right, but, and we see that all the time in the research. Yeah. If, if you're a fan of watching movies, you'll watch them at home and you'll watch them in the theater. And that's that's really, I think, the big takeaway Absolutely. that we've been seeing here. I don't want to confront them. What I know is when I see a movie in a the theater, it, it's an event. It's something I will remember for a long time. And then I will enjoy a thousand times more to watch it again on the platform or VOD or whatever it is. Uh, what's been the, the number one lesson you take away from, from this experience this week here in Las Vegas? Most exhibitors want to have a premium format and uh, most of them realize that the business model we have behind ours, because it was thought by an exhibitor, uh, addresses all the boxes for an exhibitor perspective. So it's impressive, so it works, it's extremely satisfying for the audience. It's affordable, 
uh, I mean, it's a no-brainer. So my lesson is when the industry is going well, when there are movies on the big screen, when the, the exhibition business is taking off, then ice theater is booming because there is a real demand for premium experience these days. And ours, I guess, and I think ours is the most innovative one from all of them. Hey, you need that content like everybody else lost. If it isn't, uh, if it isn't for that studio pipeline of great films, the value, I think, of this entire industry suffers. So it's, it's exciting to have been here with you, seeing all the innovations, seeing that great lineup that we know we can count on in the coming months. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Daniel. And that was Guillaume Tomin de Mazur of Ice Theatres, the premium large format concept that was available to see here at the trade show at CinemaCon 2022. Thanks again for his participation and for ICE's sponsorship of this week's episodes. Now, moving on to the feature segment of our podcast, we have highlights from that Wednesday morning panel from CinemaCon, how to attract and retain a talented staff. The panel is moderated by Jackie Brenneman, Executive Vice President and General Counsel of NATO and the President of NATO's Cinema Foundation, a very interesting initiative that was announced a couple of weeks back. Uh, you can find out more about it on our website, boxofficepro.com. But let's go right into this panel because we've got some insights from Brittany Bagby-Baker, the EVP and Chief Operating Officer over at B&B Theatres, Scott Foreman, the EVP and General Sales Manager at Warner Brothers, Pat Gonzalez, the SVP of N Theater Marketing at Paramount, and Brian Schultz, the founder and CEO of Look Cinemas. Let's take it away. With the success of our industry being dependent on a great experience, it's also critical to have a great team. So I'm going to start with you, Brittany. Uh, what were the top actions you took to attract and retain a great team as the industry started to come back? Well, we were really fortunate that we tried to remain in constant communication with our people. You know, like so many of us in the room, we had to furlough so many of our employees during this time. We got down to a very small staff for a period of time when everything was closed. But we made a constant commitment to stay in communication with them, to be as open and honest and transparent with what was going on and to remain as optimistic as we could. So we were very fortunate that so many of our people believed in us, believed in this industry, and came back as quickly as they could and as quickly as we got reopened. However, there were situations where people needed to move on. They needed to find other jobs. Maybe they were dual income households and now they needed to move to single income households because of childcare, whatever that is. So there still was um, this growth and this huge trajectory that we had to go on to get ourselves back up to the levels that we needed. Um, we, we hosted hiring fairs in our theaters, which, um, depending on the market, some were very successful and others were shockingly unsuccessful. Things that used to work pre-pandemic suddenly didn't work for us anymore, and so we had to get creative in how we were um, finding our staff. Um, We've actually hired someone in our, on our corporate team. This is very new to BNB, may not be new to others, that is focused on talent acquisitions um, and are focused on 
finding uh, potential employees in new places. So focusing on Facebook and boosting posts there about how fun it is to work in a theater environment um, and communicating through Facebook Messenger is actually a great place to actually engage with potential applicants. Um, ZipRecruiter is another place that we've gotten uh, very heavily involved in using to find especially management and our corporate staff. So it was looking for new resources and new tools. It was engaging in the community, um, connecting with our chambers and our local community, chamber of commerce and our local communities. Finding the community boards at the colleges have been successful for us. Um, if we're in a development, connecting with the developers and their social platforms or our landlords and having them help us find the resources uh, to come in and apply. And then it was also kind of rethinking how we were going through the interview and application and onboarding process to make it as fast and efficient as we could. So the hiring fairs were successful in that sense where we said, we will onboard you today. Come in, we let them know what they needed. We said, we will interview you. And if, if you are a good fit for this company, we will onboard you immediately. And that has certainly helped um, to get us built back up as quickly as we could. Oh. Uh, Brian, you're in an interesting situation because you were, of course, leading a company before the pandemic and are now leading a different company that's, that's brand new and restarting coming out of the pandemic. So wh how, what has been your strategy to introduce your brand to, to potential employees and to hire them and bring them on? You know, we've been so fortunate uh, as we went through the pandemic. Our, our company has always been based on uh, conscious capitalism principles, which is a stakeholder model, which we really value everyone from the uh, guests to the team, to the community, to the vendors, to the investors. And you need to balance all those equally. So we had a reputation for that. But then we were also blessed with a lot of the theaters that we uh, uh, stood back up. Those were theaters that we had experience. So part of the motivation for moving so fast and picking up theaters was to really re-employ these incredible team members that had started with us when they were 16 or 18 that we feel like we're a large family that we are able to just re-engage and take all the best things that we had in the past 30 years and then really lean forward and say, what could we do for the future? And really put together a story. So right out of the gate when COVID was happening, when I got the uh, <laughs> bad, bad news that we were gonna have to lay off 7,200 employees, we went ahead and we put together a framework for it, which was survive, revive, and thrive. And I'm really happy to say that we're starting to get into this uh, thrive uh, piece of it right now. So it's so exciting. And it's even more exciting to do it collaboratively with the team members that went through this terrible time up and down. And the, you know, the other thing that was hard because you know we're all leaders in the room, it would be very easy to put our heads down and just not communicate because we're going through a lot of pain and hardship ourselves but how can you actually set the framework and lead and create that narrative? And being in this industry, it was kind of unique because the story that I'd like to tell is that we're actually in the middle of the story and the best stories always have conflict and hardship to overcome. And it's not the end of the story. A matter of fact, it's the beginning of that next evolution. One of the things, of course, that's really exciting about our industry is the connection to the movie business, right? And, and I think it was really 
profound the way <laughs> The Rock was talking about the, the partnership yesterday. Um, and, you know, and just him including all of us in the movie and really thanking exhibition. And I, and I wonder how, and, I, and I'd love to turn this over to our, our studio friends here, you know, it's, it's certainly important to make sure that the guests all have a great experience when they watch your movies. Is there a way that you think that you can help participate in the attracting employee component? I actually do. And it was funny because as Brett was up here talking, part of me, I, I was thinking in my head, I thought about that this morning, is we all build at the studios, we all build campaigns to promote our films. And in essence, this is what we're trying to do. Uh, that's what Exhibition's trying to do, is to get staff to come. And I've heard the words fun. Rolando you know, said several times, I listened to Ellis yesterday about being part of the magic. And that spoke to me. And I would tell you that from the studio perspective, we have a lot of you know, opportunity. We have incredible creative teams, and we have the ability to connect talent, to connect resources, to help exhibition and creating a campaign. You know, it, it even speaks to me when I hear someone talk about their early days in the business, and there are a lot of people in the business, actors, directors, cinematographers, studio executives, exhibition executives, people that grew up in the movie theater. I am so proud of my exhibition roots. And if anybody asked me what was my favorite job ever, I would tell you it was a concession attendant because I felt part of a team. And that's what movies do. And I think we have the opportunity with resources that maybe we haven't made available in the past. But I think you could do a, a lot of what we are doing here, getting everybody excited about the upcoming you know, slate of movies, we can help exhibition on that front and because it is a fun industry the tools the videos you know attracting people through TikTok and digital all those things i think have something we have something that i think could help exhibition and the nato foundation so i'm going to volunteer a company even though they don't know it that that, <laughs> that, that, that we want to contribute and so panel done just kidding <laughs> i think it could be a lot of fun because think about it, we all got excited about The Rock coming out. So if we're excited, like how can prospective staffs not be excited about it? Echo Pat's comments, uh, getting The Rock there was a, uh, an undertaking for us and we knew we needed for him to be there to inspire and get this convention kicked off in, in the way it deserves to be kicked off. And uh, with our movies and our partnership, uh, we recognize we only win it together. So Warner's needs to step up with Paramount and all the other studios because as partners, we can do much greater things to attract uh, people to come back to the theaters, but people to want to work in our industry. Uh, I didn't know getting up early, I got to be on the fun panel today, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we try and do that every day at, at work and, and we do it with each other. And the way we will win is by tapping into each other and all of our resources uh, to bring us fully back so that our best days are in front of us. So are you volunteering your studio too? Is that what I just heard? Right. Pat <laughs> I think Pat volunteered all studios, so why oh, not? Oh, great. <laughs> I did. Awesome. Well, we'll come back to you on that. Uh, <laughs> so I know one of the one of the interesting things about B&B is that you've also been expanding coming out of the pandemic. and. What a lot of exhibitors have been doing, not just B&B, is really moving into a more dining and kind of changing that part of your business. And so although you had a historic way of recruiting concession employees and all of the rest, there's also a, a, a double challenge in learning a whole new set of employees. So how have you been tackling that? Yeah, we, um, 
as you said, BNB has been expanding just like so many of our other partners in exhibition into new areas with bowling and arcade and our restaurant space. And we've been really fortunate that we are finding staff pretty well for our theaters. As we've all been saying today, it's a fun business. And people want to come work in the movie business and get to see the movies. Where we've been struggling, and I'm sure others in this room can agree with me, is on our restaurant space. It's finding our cooks and our servers and our bartenders. And it's a whole different workforce that we're going after. It's more adult-driven. Obviously, with alcohol, there's age limitations to who we're looking for, people who are wanting full-time work, whereas the theater space, our frontline staff is often really more traditionally part-time work. Um, so it's been a whole new experience for us to go after that. And again, some of the ways that I discussed earlier is proving to be more beneficial when we're trying to find um, those cooks and servers and bartenders. But we really focus a lot at BNB on our culture. And I feel like if you don't make your culture a priority in your company, it's going to be defined for you. Um, and so we are trying to take our culture, which is defined by our core values in B&B, a family, fun, joy, innovation, and integrity, and ensure that we're sharing and spreading those core values throughout the entire company, taking those into the restaurant space that can sometimes be traditionally and maybe a not joyful environment and trying to ensure that even in our kitchens, we have joy and passion and fun in what we're doing. Um, and we are finding that our staff is going, this is a different environment, and this is refreshing to be in a space where we're having fun together. And so that's, that's where we are, are trying to focus in um, changing the narrative of what it means to work in a restaurant and ensuring that it is a fun environment for everyone. Now, Brian, I know you're going to have a lot of advice to give people on this. And I had the pleasure of being in one of your kitchens, and the, the, the joy in that room was, was incredible. Uh, so what advice would you give to some exhibitors who are also expanding into this kind of part of the business and trying to find talent? You know, it really starts from the, the top. One of the first questions that we ask in every interview is, uh, do you love movies? And of course, it's an interview scenario, so everyone says yes. And then we start talking about what movies they like and, and how they're into it. It's the same thing with the food and beverage uh, aspect. And more than ever, you have a chance to be a servant leader and really get into all different kinds of hospitality to give more than you take, to actually provide an experience. Because raising that bar and continuing to raise that bar is what's going to keep our industry super healthy and going. And there has to be a reason for us to come. And some of the theaters that I've uh, attended lately um, are really in this kind of cost control, being really careful and pulling back. I you know, ask each of you to really invest in the cleanliness of the facilities, in the hospitality, and in the joy. And even though we might be under a little bit of pressure to create the environment where there's just joy throughout your entire uh, team, because that's what's going to bring the guests back, and we have a unique chance a unique chance which really comes once in a career to reset the habits of the entire world. And I think uh, theater going could really, really benefit from just having an absolutely great focused hospitality innovative approach. Thanks. So I'm going to move now from the attracting employees piece to the retention piece because 
look, there's the longevity here and the, it, it shows that this is not just an entry level job, right? It's important for people when they're entering to understand that there's a real career that can be had here. So um, I'm gonna start with you, Scott. You know, your whole team at Warner Brothers has been there for a very long time. Um, you know, there's an amazing amount of retention through quite a lot. Uh, I'd love to know what you think the secret sauce is there to, to really keep that retention and morale high. I think it's, as we've all said, it's the culture that you create. And I think we try really hard at Warner Brothers to make it a family. We're invested not just in our coworkers, we're invested in their spouses and their children. And we keep using the word fun, but we're in a great business. Think of all the things we could sell and all the things we can do. And we're the people that have the privilege of entertaining the world. And I think we really have a strategy at Warner Brothers about doing it together. It doesn't matter how it gets done or at what level, but just do it and try and say yes and try and be leaders and innovators in what we do and one of our favorite things to do. And it's like when I was asked to join the panel, it's like, Brian's on the panel, Pat's on the panel, the Bagby family's on the panel. It's like, <laughs> how do you beat it? One of the things that has always united our team is philanthropy. And when I look around the room and I see Rick Olson and John Greiner and Lyndon Golan and so many other people and the people on this panel, some of our greatest successes aren't on the big screen or aren't in theaters, it's in the community and that's really bonded our teams and I think bonded and made this industry so unique and the foundation having a charitable component along with Will Rogers and Variety. How many industries look out not only for their own but to make the world better and I think our team realizes it's a privilege just to be part of it. I'd love to hear some other thoughts on how, how you grow your employees, how you take them from entry level to, to high success. What are the cultural components that really allow that to happen? Anyone? Well, I, I'm going to say I, grew, I came up through the ranks at General Cinema, and uh, the culture is so important, right? Feeling connected and being part of something that's bigger. And the reality of it is the greatest successes don't come from me. They come from us, right? And so I've always been a very you know, team approach. And I'm lucky, like Scott, like in my particular group, longevity, within our distribution group, longevity. And it's because you're, you feel part and you're acknowledged and you're, you feel respected and you feel part of a bigger team. Family, that is what our industry is. I, I don't know anything other than this business. And I feel warm and welcomed and I feel part of an extended family. And with your own team, I think it's a reminder and I think it's, that's important too for the field because I remember being an employee um, working concession, working in the theater, and then working in management, and I always felt like I was recognized and valued. And that's a really important thing, is for people to tell you, you're doing a great job. We need you. We're only better through your you know, contributions. That, for us, is part of, I think, what our what retention, at least, is feeling part of a bigger team. And I think you can't. I don't know what other industries are like. I know, Jackie, we talked about it, the restaurant business. I'm sure every industry has it. It is waking up in the morning and feeling great about coming to work. All of us have ups and downs, but it's how you actually navigate the highs and the lows. And I'm a big believer in making sure that everyone that joins the group, and especially if you enter as an assistant, cultivate your talents and get you the experience you need so that we can move you up. And I'm really proud on my team, you know, three at least 
three or four of the team members were my assistant at one point, and we had a chance to move them up. So homegrown talent, look for it and then acknowledge it and give them the opportunities to grow. I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to add one thing to that. Um, and, and you touched on it, Pat, I thought so beautifully, the importance of appreciation. And I read this old book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm sure many of you have read it. And there's a great quote in it about how people have a craving to feel important. And I love the word craving because it's not a desire, a want. It's like a very internal instinct to feel important. And so we talk about that a lot with our managers and in our leadership skills about the importance of appreciation and making sure your, your staff feels appreciated and recognized that they are part of this bigger and greater thing that we get to do, which is to give people an escape. Give them a chance to step away from the stress of their life and escape into a beautiful story for a few minutes. And so um, giving praise in public and criticizing in private, I think, is such an important thing that we try and, and work and train our team with. And the other thing, we believe in BNB very much so in promotion from within. And so many people on our corporate team started at 16 as a frontline concessionaire selling popcorn and rise through the ranks and have grown with us. And I think that is so important because it brings empathy to our corporate team to remind all of us what we're really doing, which is spreading the magic of the movies to people. And so I think surrounding yourself with a group of people who have the same passion as you do and the love of this industry and people who have been there on a Friday night at seven o'clock when it's the lines out the door and the popcorn machine broke down and the stress that comes with it um, helps us grow as a team and feel connected and be reminded of how important that frontline staff member is to the company. I'm a little embarrassed that I'm thinking that I might want to work at B&B right now. <laughs> See, it's really, really awesome. I know, we're all just giving our resumes. <laughs> anyway, with that being said, um, you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the business, is really helping uh, team members grow to whatever they want their potential to be and getting rid of this fixed uh, mindset of wanting everyone to want what you want or ascend the way that you think it should be. And one of the best things that uh, we started doing at Look Cinemas and uh, previously was focusing on things that weren't work-related. It wasn't teaching someone how to fix the popcorn machine or how to have hospitality. It was actually to work with financial literacy, actually how to work with the inference ladder on how to expand conversations to have a great balanced life, how to actually earn a living wage and actually deploy it to what a good life meant for you, and then to really have a definition of what your potential could be if you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So asking those questions and having those open dialogues and having access, and as we go up this proverbial ladder, um, you know, you get further and further from the uh, field sometimes. And just having these really one-on-one -on -one conversations like, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you love? What do you want to accomplish in your life? Because everyone has their own story, and we like to try to empower that story, and that's what really gets me excited every single day. And that's it. We're done. It's finished. The whole thing's finished. A whole week's worth of coverage. It was fun while it lasted. It was exciting. 
We'll be back with another one of these daily editions of our uh, weekly podcast at CinemaCon 2023 next year. We have to thank, of course, our presenting partner, Ice Theaters, for making this possible. This podcast would not happen without the support of our advertisers. So thanks again to our partners at Ice Theaters for keeping us company, making sure that the lights are still on, that the microphone stays warm. And uh, once again, another big thanks to my co-hosts, Rebecca Polly and Sean Robbins for making it through the week. It's been a long, long week. The Box Office Podcast is produced by The Box Office Company in collaboration with Box Office Pro and Record Edit Podcast. We will be back on Thursday, so we'll be taking a couple days off in our regular weekly edition. So if you liked what we did this week, even if you didn't like it that much, you know, it'll come back in moderation. It'll be fine. You can subscribe. You can rate us. You can like us. All of that through any of your podcast platform of choice. We'll appreciate it. And on behalf of every one of us here, thanks again for supporting us, for listening and joining us in this year's edition of CinemaCon 2022. Signing off on behalf of Box Office, I'm Daniel Luria, the host of the Box Office Podcast. <laughs>